Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Inkle. And I'm Lindsay Romaine, and today we're talking about Minute 109, which begins with Ripley and Hicks removing his armor and ends with Ripley and Bishop helping Hicks up the dropship ramp. All right, Lindsay Romaine back again for day four. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, so they've gotten the they've gotten the armor off. I think we pretty much exhausted the armor discussion <laughs> last minute. Uh, they get the armor off, and then we immediately cut to this insert shot of the elevator coming to the, I guess, correct floor. I guess they kind of must have ki- sort of known what they were, where they were going. Yeah, that's true. Because all they had to do is get in an elevator, hit the right button, and they ended up right where they needed to be. <laughs> so it, it just does the old ding, right. floor one, and uh, they come out. Now, tell me if you think this. I've always thought this. Is there something weird going on with Michael Bean in this scene? Huh. As she's helping him out of the elevator, his body motions, either he's really playing up the pain and like moving around in these much more like jerky, herky jerky kind of ways, or they've sped the film up just a little bit or something. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice that, but that's really interesting. Um, I, I obviously I remember him recoiling and stuff, but I didn't notice it as like a film thing, (laughs) like something that has been affected. Yeah. I don't know if that's even makes sense, but, when I'm watching it always, I think, you know, I, I've been in pain a few times mm-hmm. and I'll usually just kind of go like, ah, like I might throw my head back. Like, ah, he's, he seems to be like, oh, ah, oh, uh, you know, a little bit like, right. more jerking around. And I, I don't know, acid burn pain, I guess, is I was probably say, pretty bad. Maybe it's just the acid, the alien acid. It's like we wouldn't know how that affects you. So maybe it's just different. <laughs> you know what? Now that you mentioned that, like what stops the acid from continuing to burn you like why isn't the acid just burning right through him yeah i have no idea unless there's something in your body something in your biology that kind of makes it stop i have no idea i don't know Hmm. how alien acid works maybe maybe the i don't know the something neutralizes it i guess yeah to a certain extent it it, it takes a little bit of time and burns the surface of your skin but i would kind of think if you got acid on your arm it would just burn right through your arm yeah that's ghastly thought but um, I don't know. There's there's flesh eating acids out there, and I assume that's what this is supposed to be. So right, yeah. Never really thought about it. Maybe it wasn't the acid operating at full. Maybe there's like different depths of acid that the alien can produce, and that was just the like disarming one, not the like I'll kill you one. <laughs> yeah, maybe the the head acid. So far in this movie, we've seen a lot of head acid. Yeah, yeah. Like when Vasquez shoots the alien in the head, gets yeah. it on her leg. And this is a, another headshot. So maybe for some reason the head acid uh, isn't as strong as the rest of the body. Or maybe the, I've never thought about this, maybe the full-grown xenomorph acid is not as deadly as the facehugger acid. Yeah, it could be. Once it's like sort of developed or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I have no biological background <laughs> or like any reason to like think that other than, well, when we see the acid initially, it's from a facehugger and it burns through multiple levels of a ship. Right, right. And now we're seeing it from these aliens, like these full-grown uh, xenomorph, and it's not burning through people. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good a good theory. I'm sure somebody out there will have, have thought this through and will joined us on the Facebook page to talk about it a right. bit, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I, I like this sort of next scene or next moment really of Ripley helping uh, Hicks along as he's injured. I always like a good gender reversal in these types of things where it's the woman getting to sort of 
carry the man <laughs> through the rubble and everything. So I I always like this moment. It feels very cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good moment. I, again, I think that there was thought to these kind of things mm-hmm. throughout the movie. It seems pretty clear. And obviously having Ripley being your automatic uh, main character, hero, protagonist uh, for James Cameron, he knew where to go with that. Like he said, okay, well, I've got this already in place, so it's going to take me in certain directions in certain scenes, and I'm going to be able, you know, to have these moments where Ripley's going to be the one that comes to the rescue of a man, as opposed to the other way around. And he kind of had, he was already playing with ideas of that just a little bit. In, um, as a matter of fact, isn't there a moment, or am I just like remembering wrong? Isn't there a moment where there is a moment where uh, um, Sarah Connor is also carrying kyle reese this way almost the exact same way right yeah you're right am i crazy oh my god now i'm thinking about it it's like it's michael bean and another female protagonist (laughs) so james so this is actually a uh, james cameron trademark yeah you know almost (laughs) that's true i had not thought of that either but yeah i forgot they're running away from the uh you know the 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 semi with the terminator in it and all that and yeah that's right um, so yeah, this is something that James Cameron liked to do back then. I mean, I'm not sure we could say that anymore. It's been a while <laughs> since he's had a, you know, since Terminator two, I guess, since he really had a free, a female protagonist, right? Titanic. <laughs> not, oh yeah. Sure. Not in, I don't know if that really counts. I think they're kind of on equal footing there. Oh, but, yeah. So he comes full circle in Titanic where he, he begins his career with women helping men. Right. He comes full circle in Titanic where it's a woman going, yeah, buddy, you're just going to, you're not going to be able to fit on this raft here. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, pal. (laughs) (laughs) You worked his way into the door moment. (laughs) Finally. Um, Yeah. So that's what he was. Apparently that's what Cameron was getting at all along, even though he vehemently denies that, uh, Right. That Jack, Jack could have ever lived anyway. Right, right. Despite Mythbusters busting that myth. Again, we're, we're talking about myth, Mythbusters two days in a row. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Uh, but he I didn't take too well <laughs> to them busting that myth. I can't speak to Avatar either. Maybe something happens there, but I don't remember anything about Avatar. So, <laughs> Well, there's definitely not a female protagonist. I mean, I guess Sigourney Weaver's character is a strong active character but boy i don't remember it well enough either yeah <laughs> as soon as i start talking about avatar i'm like what blue yeah. I, like <laughs> blue tree big tree flying bugs right i can't remember always so. held on with like a weird accent yeah that's i don't remember much about it either Oh god, I forgot she was in. Boy, she's a real. Uh, yeah, she's in a lot of franchisee movies, huh? Yeah. God, she's she sure is. Yeah. Well, good for her. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember if she lived through the first Avatar. She does. So is she going to be the next four? Yeah, I know she lived. I, well, actually, I mean, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't really remember, but I know she's supposed to be in the rest of them. So. Wow. So okay, I'm predicting right now. Zoe Saldana will be the all time leading box office oh, star. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's got to be up there already, right? That's crazy. With you know, the Star Trek is kind of low level but pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy is going to prove to be very successful, and then these Avatar movies are probably uh, at the end of the day. Even though I don't think they're going to be all as successful as the first one. Yeah, There's, we're still talking about billions of dollars in box office here. So it's wow. so hard to underestimate James Cameron. See, like I hear people kind of mocking that like oh the next avatars won't do well and it's like yeah but his the last two movies that he made are the highest grossing movies of all time like we don't know he's got tricks up his sleeve and, so and both of them were greeted with skepticism yep. like titanic was 
was probably thought i remember it being talked about as a possible complete flop especially considering its budget people thought there was no way and and it somehow broke the fiasco curse where usually if a movie is discussed as a potential fiasco production problem uh when the media gets a hold of that idea, it kind of sinks a movie. Oh God, I didn't mean that. Uh, <laughs> didn't mean that pun. Sorry, but uh, it'll often sink a movie just the, by the fact that the media decides it was a problematic production. And in this case, that was a huge story for like two years. Was that Titanic was this big production failure? Like that he was in over his head and that he was spending too much money. And of course, it turns out to be the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. And then Avatar, I think people were a little skeptical of it. Uh, not maybe not as much, but nobody knew what it was. Yeah. No, there was no sort of basis for what it what it was. So yeah, it is kind of a miracle, weirdly, that, that it was so successful. And it does. I. It's funny because we're talking about it like we don't remember it, but I did see it like twice in theaters. So it definitely. I, I, yeah. That's the that's the thing about it though. That's where we're talking about two different elements of the movie. Yeah. Because I I also saw it twice in theaters. I, I watched it the first time. I was like, okay, interesting. And then I thought, you know, I did enjoy that uh, for the first time. I enjoyed the 3D experience. Yes. When I saw it, so I thought I'm going to go see it again just to re-experience the 3D and kind of the immersive uh, element of it. And I didn't like it at all the second time, uh, <laughs> even yeah. enough to ever see it again. But. So we, you and I both spent like 30 to $40 on tickets, yeah, right? Yeah. To go see it twice. But then there's that element of the movie where it's completely forgettable. Right. I, I can remember that the beats of the story are very similar to like, you know, uh, Pocahontas, Fern Gully, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's really all I remember. I don't remember, like I said, I didn't even remember Zoe Saldana's character survived. I don't remember. I think Sigourney Weaver's character died and came back to life, maybe? Do, am I, I remembering that? literally no idea. I forgot she was so there. We are. <laughs> yeah, was oh, sorry. yeah. She's a, and I think she's along for the ride, too. Yeah. So All the way. So, well, one way or another, it's going to, yeah, the sequels are going to make plenty of money. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's no doubt. But I, $2 billion each is highly doubtful. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to reach that. I think but. you should also maybe focus on like one. Like, isn't, aren't there like four planned sequels or something? It's just like, yeah. it seems like he's getting a little ahead of himself, but. And, and I, I don't know. I think I was under the understanding that all four of them would each have a different kind of, um, environmental element to them like one of them's going to take place mostly underwater okay and and so on so i think that's what he's done is he's kind of figured out this technology and what he could do with it and probably made settings for each of the four movies and now he wants to practice he wants to r&d this tech into the movie and that's kind of what he's become about for a long time anyway yeah that's, uh, true. that's interesting but, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard that that actually makes me a little more interested in it if they're each in like different settings or whatever yeah, I don't think they're all just like the regular old... Uh, what's Navi. <laughs> was it called Pandora? Yeah, yeah, the people, the Navi. Sorry, jeez, I forgot the name of the planet. <laughs> no, Jesus. I just... For, sometimes I forget how on the nose the names and things. <laughs> yeah. Like, Navi sounds like a, a tribal, you know, like, yeah. okay, this, that could be a species, race of people, whatever. Pandora, and then, of course, uh, the element is unobtainium, which is just absurd. That's like from a... <laughs> Zucker Abrams slapstick movie <laughs> totally. version of it. Uh, anyway, we've got, <laughs> we've got a little off track yeah, here, but <laughs> uh, I'll bring it back by saying, you know, he is, uh, James Cameron is the, the master maybe of special effect, big budget special effects filmmaking and always has been. Uh, I'm not particularly a big fan of CGI, as I've said multiple times on the show, but he's always been good at what he did. 
uh, when it came to doing special effects. So we've got Ripley helping helping Hicks out uh, to meet Bishop here, and Bishop is flying this drop ship down. You know, first of all, he's doing really good, nice little subtle touch on the joystick. Yeah. I gotta say, like that's some good acting. You know, he's not like gripping it and treating it like Tom Cruise and Top Gun. But he's he, you know, he's guiding that dropship down. So we get this like okay, establish what Bishop's doing. He's flying the dropship. We we know that that's what he's doing. We see him actively doing it with the joystick. We get orientation on the screen where we see basically the exact same screen we saw earlier when uh, Pharaoh was still flying the dropship and we we're landing on the uh, planet initially. So that tells the audience okay, he's flying the dropship. Cut to model of the dropship, and what we're at here is. You know, super miniature, old school special effects. And what James Cameron, we've said it multiple times, he was really good at orienting the audience to that to make it to sell that effect where it could look really phony. Right. Um, two things he did, like the first thing I've already described is show Bishop flying the dropship. So we've established a person with actual like items in front of him, like flying the ship. Then we cut to a shot where he's composed the shot with a little piece of a structure in the foreground we got a little bit of a like i think there's a satellite dish and a little tower and a structure there and with that and the dropship coming around behind it then i'm sold right like if you just have a dropship like isolated on the screen mm-hmm. wavering around on some wires it's going to look phony but because you have something in the foreground that um that looks very real. I think a building a stationary building is is more grounding right right and then you get the ship you know, those two things within the same frame, I think, sells the idea really well. So, um, it's again, you know, Cameron is really good at at making sure these fairly low budget effects came off as as really solid effects and and are grounded and believable for the audience. Yeah, I think that texture always adds to that feeling of reality, as you were saying. Just anything that makes it look like there's a lot in the frame. Um, yeah, that's kind of the trick, I think, with all miniature stuff. Yeah. To say whatever it takes, you know, earlier in the movie, we had, you know, shots of Pharaoh in the cockpit. You know, it's like a a real cockpit, sort of. It's a model of a, co- right. or a, a set of a cockpit that a real person is in. Then when you cut away to this, like, kind of floppy uh, miniature, sort of like Thunder, uh, the old Thunderbirds shows, mm-hmm. um, you're sold because you've seen something real in juxtaposition to the something fake. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's what we have here. And then the miniatures in the foreground sell it even further. Right. So, so he lands the drop ship and Ripley and Hicks meet him. And this always bothers me just a little bit. And, and maybe there's a good explanation for it. So let's talk about this. <laughs> okay. Why does Bishop not d- seem to be surprised at all huh. by the fact that nobody else is there? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a good point. He's just kind of like, oh, hey, guys. Um, I don't know. Maybe he just assumes that <laughs> no one else is going to be there. Maybe he knows the situation. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I guess it's possible that he overheard what went on. Yeah. Because like, he, co- he is in communication with Hicks, but maybe there's an open channel and they're just he's just hearing everything. But... I guess that's possible. But to me, it's a little strange because they show up and he doesn't ask a question. Right. Uh, she just she just says, how long? He's like, not long. 26 minutes, I think he says. Yeah, 26 minutes. And then she says, we're leaving. And he goes, we are? Or we're not leaving. He goes, we're not? Which I think is kind of weirdly out of character for Bishop. Yeah. But also, that tells me that 
Um, he knows everybody's dead because it, even if it was, he was not, you know, just going to ask that question right away. Maybe it'd be like, well, he's maybe he assumed everybody was still on their way or something. Yeah. yeah. But when he says we're not, when he's so surprised that they're not immediately leaving, tells me no, he's not expecting anyone else to come at all. He thinks they're going to get in that ship and get out of here right now. So I've always found this huh. kind of jarring and weird, uh, kind of a, one of those moments where, well, we need to talk about this, but I, I don't know. Maybe it would have been too busy for him to ask where everybody else is. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe it's not important. But I always think. It wouldn't Bishop be like, where uh, are, are we going to wait for everyone else? Or I don't know. No, that's I honestly I've never really thought about that before. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Maybe he just doesn't care. <laughs> Maybe he just yeah. wants to get out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, by, he can't by act of omission harm a human being. Yeah. So he can't leave. He, he literally cannot leave without those people if they are still that's true. alive. That's true. So I don't know if that does that hold for Newt as well? Like, is that why he's so quick to obey the orders and fly back into that as we're going to see in the next minute go into that atmospheric processor to get newt is because it's possible or is he yeah. or is he by act of action harming ripley it's kind of confusing but i guess he has to obey orders that's what it really comes right to. right i think he just does what they say but yeah i don't, I don't know that's that's interesting yeah all right. Well, yeah. So they're going to end up, you know, we just basically in the minute with Ripley and Hicks, or well, Ripley and Bishop both helping Hicks up the ramp to the dropship. And uh, that's going to move us into the next minute, unless you have something else. No, no. All right. Well, let everybody know again where they can find you online. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Lindsay Romaine, Lindsay with an E. Um, you can find my work weekly at Thrillist and elsewhere, several other places I post on Twitter. So, yeah. All right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com, on Instagram at AlienMinutePodcast, or on uh, Twitter at AlienMinutePod. All right, well, we'll see you tomorrow for Minute 110.